This is the Human Node Podcast. Human Node is the first crypto biometric network where one human is equal to one node. Learn how you can become a human node at humannode.io. Doing the fireside for the first time in God knows how many months. So, usually, uh, for those of you who, uh, for Subi, who might not be aware, normally uh, the fireside is held across the ocean, halfway across the world between uh, different uh, people. And uh, today, I just happened to be with Victor here. So, Victor, want to try your uh, sound system? I'm already on. I'm already unmuted myself, but nobody can hear me, right? Yeah, you can hear me. Interesting. Nope. I can okay. hear you. Give you a better microphone. Mm-hmm. What about now? No. But again, it doesn't work for some reason. It works. You can hear me. Are you sure? Are you sure? You can hear me. But um, okay. Thank you, Shannon. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, we hear you. Yeah, Maybe that's from your phone. What about now? Okay, that's strange because, yeah. But we can hear you, Fiona, for some reason. Can you hear me now? What about now? And how about this? Yes, same? Okay, so it works through my earphones. All right. Hello, Kanko. Nice name or nickname. Uh, for some reason, uh, I like it because it matches with the name of one of my favorite philosophers, with the surname of his. Uh, thanks for joining us. So, Victor, shall we start? Because we tend to have more listeners that download the uh, the podcast later on. We can start now, I guess. Yep, sure. We can start. Uh, Thank you so much, all of you, for coming today. We have a pretty strange and interesting theme, but uh, it might frighten you a little bit in the middle of our talk today, or on the other hand, give you some idea of how we can live in the world in the future, given the security we have right now and the security we can have when we couple biometrics and crypto. Uh, we talked before uh, with you, Shannon, about various use cases that biometrics can bring. Uh, this is actually one of those. And it is even more connected to security of our daily lives than anything else that we discussed. Well, yes. Um... It's definitely something that uh, we've talked about, and this is one of the biggest use cases when it comes to the use of biometrics, but it is also one of the most common. And uh, I would say something that most people are familiar with. If anybody here has seen a Mission Impossible movie, we know uh, how biometrics are used in offices and uh, in high-class places and labs. So, I mean, yes, uh, the biometric controller 
is I, I'd say one of the uh, biggest or one of the most standard use cases that we see. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are many, uh, let's say, you know, what are the most common ones that we see? You know, fingerprints, you know, uh, facial recognition, iris recognition um, are probably some of the most common ones that we see in the movies. But um, there's actually, you know, a lot more to it, I'd say. Uh, and do you have any favorite biometrics? Well, we rarely see them in, in our lives, frankly speaking, probably because of the fact that um, I personally don't usually live in developed countries, but in developing ones. And yeah, I, I, I don't say I have favorite biometrics, Shannon. My answer to this is each use case has its pros and cons uh, regarding the biometric modalities. And we will surely discuss this today. Uh, I wanted to start with just explaining to people what biometric controller is, right? And what is it connected to in the first place? So uh, I would describe that as one of the type of access control system, right? And uh, access control system is basically what you use every day, uh, a key in your pocket, a password in your head to open the door or even a lock in the swimming pool in the dressing room like it's also access control system and uh, well we've been living okay so far with what we have but we all know how easy it is to steal the key and copy it it uh, costs less than Okay, it costs around a few dollars to copy a key. Right? And if you know where to put it, you can easily get control over the place. And uh, you also have passwords, which have their own vulnerabilities. Uh, if anybody knows the password to the door of the office, well, it can be indefinitely distributed throughout the internet or just in the street shouting out to everybody what the password is. <laughs> There's a funny story here. I mean, this is, of course, before actual biometrics. And as, you know, password control started to come to some buildings, this is like, you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, my father worked at one of the large uh, national universities in Japan, and they wanted to go super high tech. So they're tired of students coming into the faculty rooms and uh, trying to steal the answers to tests or, you know, find ways to get around the system so they they created a password protective uh, door system for the entire university and all the professors and assistant professors and the staff members had to go through you know a very uh, intensive um, crash course on how to utilize these electronics and how they were never ever supposed to lose a password or to uh, give access to anybody who uh, should not have access because it will cost a lot of money to change the password and um, they didn't want to do that uh, that often 
So after it's like a two hour lecture on uh, security and so forth, they called, they didn't you know, reveal the password at the spot. They called each and every faculty member into a private room to sit down and talk. And she, she gave them the password and said, you're not allowed to write this down. You have to memorize it on the spot, okay? So this is a password. Uh, first, you push the button five, then you push the button four, then three, two, and he concluded with one and push enter. And it's like five, four, three, two, one, that's a flipping password for a national <laughs> university. And it was. And uh, they stuck with that system and the same password for closely 10 years until they uh, decided to put an IC chip on the, um, the, the badges for the faculty members and, and didn't tell them the password. <laughs> yeah. I like how this story took us to the next level of development of access control systems, right? Where you have the chips that uh, we also use today with our door downstairs. And I mean, we had pretty, we had a little problem of copying it, but it was just a one day problem. If you have one, you can make 10 copies of it and bam, you're ready to go. And of course, to change it, you have to gather the whole building and give them the new keys, which again, cost money. And uh, well, sometimes people use uh, tokens that look like a flashcard to enter the building. Password, passphrase, keys, well, they all work awfully right? in these circumstances. And uh, eventually what the like security specialists in this in these institutions come to is that oh we need to hire more guards right which in us comes to thirty four thousand dollar a year per each guard yeah yeah or or they decide to do you know personalized id cards or whatever and what was that uh oh. horrifying figure that you're talking about yeah, students losing their cards uh, 19% of U.S. students lose their ID cards every year, uh, which comes up to $80 million in cost to issue new ID cards. And we're not even taking administrative costs of people doing that into account. That's scary. Mm -hmm. Now, so, so obviously, you know, for some institutions that are afraid of you know, uh, those costs, but more, more importantly, not those costs, but having those cards stolen or IDs stolen, they, they try to take the next step and try to go to uh, biometric systems. And, you know, it's, it's understandable. I've, I've worked at a, I worked with a lab that uh, was fully uh, controlled using biometrics, you know, although it was fingerprint and iris, fingerprint for the entry level and iris mm -hmm. for uh, the more heavy duty top secret labs. But, you know, the whole thing about that, uh, I, you know, it was great for the people who work there because uh, they don't necessarily lose their biometrics that 
easily. Mm-hmm. You know, fingerprints can be uh, scanned and copied and whatever, but yeah, you know, um, depending on the security level, there's, you know, there are different tricks to it. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole thing about it is those systems were very uh, centralized and it's basically the company that holds all the biometric data. And there have been cases where uh, their systems have been hacked and the biometric data was stolen. And that isn't necessarily ideal either. But, you know, you can obviously tell that, you know, a lot of uh, countries are trying to, not, not only countries, but companies are trying to move towards uh, using these biometric controls. Like even my bank in Japan, um, basically to use some of the functions, I have to use uh, a biometric controller. Or it's a, a, a little thing where you stick your finger into it and it reads your finger veins mm. and it gives you access to your account. So it's not just your credit card or your bank card and your password, but you also have to. Is it right in the ATM? Yeah, it's right oh, in the ATM. Never seen that. Yeah, so, you know, these things are probably going to be, you know, more common in the future, but um, my question here is, would you like to have 15 different systems uh, independently uh, controlling and carrying your personal uh, biometric data or not? It's like, I don't know. You know, what about you? you know, hey, Dato, I see you there. Dato, do you have any comments here? Well, it's, I think it's an obvious question, Shannon, that, uh, well, if you're talking about different biometric systems having different vectors, uh, you know, my biometric vectors at their disposal and only one system, um, you know, actually, if you think about it, it creates like a, a, a single point of failure problem, don't you think? I mean, if only one system kind of holds all information about you. That's true, especially you know if the system is um, centralized. But you know what what really can be done here. I mean, there there are two two issues here. Of course, there's you know the single point of failure. I said if this system fails, everything associated to it can uh, be mucked up, to be polite. Uh, but then again, if you have you know, you know, 15, 20 different systems that, uh, that are there. I, I don't know if I want to spread my biometrics around to, uh, to how shall I say, small-scale authorities that can get their, <laughs> get your biometrics stolen. On the other yeah, hand, I mean, you're making 15 points of failure instead of one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> More points <laughs> of failure. Anyway, we understand that it's impossible to have one system for everybody there will always be competition, right? And uh, at least we could finally have some standards on uh, securing the data. And when we're talking about all these access points, uh, which are really crucial for businesses and actually even data centers where this data is stored are secured by the same, you know, type of uh, access control systems. I don't understand why people don't yet have all the biometrics stored, at least in the secure enclaves, like 
we have in our version one of the mainnet. Uh, yes, it's a bit harder to implement. Yes, it allows, I mean, it, it means that uh, more computations have to be done and more resources wasted. <clears throat> but the thing that I usually hear from uh, the companies why they don't do that is that, hey, these secure enclaves got hacked twice last year. People are not even thinking how many times servers without enclaves were hacked last year. 100,000 times, maybe, but not under 10, like Intel enclaves. You know, and the, the whole thing comes down to, so, um, you know, the question, are uh, biometric controllers uh, necessary or not? And, you know, I think we all agree that, um, you know, as long as the data is kept private and that um, nobody's able to steal it, we actually uh, would most likely want to move to a system with biometric controllers because it's so much easier. I mean, I don't want to remember all my passwords. The, the older I get, and I am getting older, I tend to forget more passwords, which means I tend to consolidate passwords, which uh, is a major point of failure. Um, hell, you know, uh, my father, who recently had a stroke, uh, contacted me today and said, um, I somehow cannot remember the password for my main computer in the office and I need to get the tax, tax records out. Is there any uh, high level hacks that you can use to get into my system. And I'm like, uh, no, I encrypted that drive. <laughs> so, you know, if you had biometric controllers, if you just do it with you know, your face or whatever, it would be a lot uh, easier for many people. And, you know, for offices too. I mean, Victor and I were joking earlier about what kind of controls and permissions can be given. I mean, currently, you know, the offices with biometric controls have you know, certain things, you know, this biometric ID come, uh, touches the door, he has access to this room or not, or he can go into this lab or not. But eventually, you know, it could be more detailed as in, you know, uh, if you touch a coffee pot, the coffee, you know, maker will recognize this person is authorized to make coffee or not. And, you know, if the, the person makes a bad coffee, the office can definitely, you know, uh, disallow those biometrics to touch the coffee pot. I, uh, I think everybody would enjoy that. But um, what kind of uh, biometric IDs or use cases uh, would you envision, let's say, at home or at the office? Or, you know, what would you like to see? Or what do you think is uh, reasonable? Victor, Dato, whichever. Hmm, at home, Shannon. I'm not sure I have uh, anything to secure besides the door itself. Like, I, I don't really need the biometric security of my fridge, for example. It's because you don't have part. kids yet. That's why you can't think of stuff. That's true. <laughs> Once you have kids, oh man, uh, security levels on your fridge <laughs> is top <laughs> priority. Biometric controllers on everything. <laughs> Cupboards, doors. Um, uh, sink. Cookie jars. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, um, actually uh, adding like, security, like layers of security for children and against your pets, 
<laughs> and against the robbers, like different types of uh, biometric security there. But more, I want to talk about this misconception, like the believers of biometric future think that people are going to use, um, you know, biometric controllers and biometric uh, layers for everything in their house, which is, I think, is a big misconception here. And well, we should probably uh, envision it as using it for like things that are really necessary because you know children in your life are important. Well. Uh, safeguard them from, you know, uh, sh sh uh, interaction with something dangerous, right? Or if you don't trust some of your siblings, well, <laughs> you can also add uh, things to, uh, like, your car, for example, so that your teenage uh, boy won't, you know, steal it and ride it, or something like this. It depends on uh, what you're safeguarding from. Uh, I would say that this technology will mostly concentrate on uh, protecting expensive equipment. For example, if there is an authorized person who can uh, void the warranty of the machine, he will create enormous cost to the company. Or if the data center is not guarded properly well, data can be stolen and companies will... Uh, receive a lot of fines for not protecting the data of users properly. I, I definitely say, you know, the use, I mean, other than your uh, personal equipment, uh, such as your, uh, your computer or certain passwords or your crypto wallets or your bank accounts, basically, you know, some of those essential things that cause, you know, in a, in a broader term, damage to you um, will tend will probably be more uh, tied to your to your biometrics you know obviously you know we just step forward if we say okay you know what other things you know uh, contracts would be one thing you know land deeds might be tied to your uh, biometrics um, but uh, the workplace would and workplace security, security of data probably will be the number uh, priority. Although I guarantee you that uh, the various uh, utility, uh, electronic utility makers will uh, do a run for it, basically allowing <clears throat> uh, certain you know, controls to certain people. So. I wouldn't be surprised if you will find uh, biometric keys and locks on your refrigerator. Yeah, and uh, actually, I looked at some statistics, and this biometric controller market is growing at the same pace, and in some years, at even larger pace than uh, the whole biometric market, because uh, I don't see any, I don't see anything bad besides the you know management efforts to replace the legacy systems you don't only enhance the security but you also have zero replacement costs okay you don't have to issue any new cards or keys at the same time you need to have fewer security staff if we're talking about some important uh, institutional objects so we will see this market growing and growing. We already can see that it is more developed in the developed countries, of course, but 
we'll see coming to developing countries as well pretty soon. I just remember when uh, the internet first started to uh, hit uh, the major market, you know, first, you know, when you had the internet, it was the academics and, you know, limited uh, number of people that suddenly, you know, everybody and their dog had the internet. And believe it or not, they had, uh, they had companies advertising microwaves that had the internet access and refrigerators with the internet access. And said, oh yes, it will actually automatically give you the proper recipe and controls over the internet. And they had them on the market for about two years and they realized that they were, you really didn't need to have internet access on your uh, microwave because all you need to do is print out the recipe or scribble it down from somewhere. But, you know, there, for a while, there will be some crazy things out there. But I do agree that the biometric, the biometric controller market will, will be growing. So, um, but really, it comes down, I mean, personally, I believe, is, you know, the, the security of the data, you know, how useful it will be and, you know, what use cases it will be the most useful for um, are things that only history will uh, determine after trial and error. But uh, you will see a big push towards it. And I think the, the key here really is the security of the biometrics. Because unlike the uh, the regular ID card that you know costs you ten dollars to uh, actually get a new card, your replacement card, it's kind of hard to replace your biometrics. It's like, okay, sorry, uh, your face failed. Therefore, we have to get you a new face before you you can get a new identity. That I don't think is a cheap solution. So, you know, it, the, the core of this really comes down to is how you manage or how you secure uh, the biometric data from malicious actors or people who want to profit. Um, let's see, Victor, uh, let's talk just a little bit about modalities here. You know, what kind of modalities would you be looking at or what would be ideal for various use cases we've been talking about. Well, when we're talking about the biometric access control systems, I think I would pick uh, Palm Vein as, as the winner. Why? Because uh, it's uh, internal to the body. We remember from the films of the beginning of the century how people just cut off the slice of a finger and use that you know, to enter the building. So fingerprints are not really the best type here and at the same time uh, living in the still living in the covid world a bit uh, fingerprints are less sanitary than other methods uh, fingerprints can also change over time and well yeah fingerprints can be easily reproduced while we're talking about palm veins uh, they not are only private by design because you can't have a photo of a person's palm vein uh, it's really hard to reproduce for a perpetrator uh, and it has a uh, liveness inherent in design because the palm vein scanners can also uh, feel the temperature the only 
con of using the palm vein is that uh, if you're in uh, Siberia and you have to access the door into the building from outside, well, in cold weather, the accuracy is reduced and blindness may not work that well. But if we're talking about those controllers that are inside the building, uh, Palm Rain is a certain winner. Oh, I mean, Palm Rain, yes. I mean, obviously, it's you know, a fairly large mass. And compared to, let's say, a child's hand, my hand is more like a bear's hand. Might be tougher. I mean, what about if we're talking finger veins, which are just as hidden? You know, it's a smaller mass, but you know, uh, what would be the difference uh, compared to, let's say, a finger vein uh, controller and a palm vein controller? Uh, the only difference here, Sean, is the amount of data. So, from palm veins, you can take uh, like a lot of points and have more accurate and unique image of palm vein per person. That's the major difference here. But uh, wouldn't you, let's say, imagine being, being able to carry around, let's say, a finger vein scanner, which is a smaller mass compared to a uh, palm vein scanner. Let's, let, let's say, let's try to put it on your mobile phone because you know, everybody would want, I don't think they'd want to be carrying mm -hmm. around extra uh, major devices that are bigger than your iPhone. So, I mean, for, I guess, for bigger buildings, yes, but I guess, you know, the answer really comes down to multiple modalities, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the use case. So. Well, actually, you want it to be portable. I would go for uh, facial iris recognition instead of fingerprint. Uh, the well, the problem with the facial recognition, it's not even a problem for access control system, actually, because you can uh, read the person's face from uh, long distance and, for example, already give him way in and understand that, yeah, that's the same person coming when he's still coming to the place that he should enter. So it's very convenient, but Right now, facial recognition is subject to spoofs, right? It's subject to, well, not everybody uses the most advanced facial recognition systems and almost nobody can achieve the uh, security of facial data. Data, what are your thoughts? Well. You know, um, it's also very interesting to talk about the technological limitations of biometric controls, right? Um, well, uh, the biometric data can be really different in size and quality, right? It's a uh, pretty customizable disregard. And uh, all the biometric controls um, can be set to interact with the external databases, internal ones, and there's always the problem of bandwidth. Like if you have many people interacting with the same, um, well, not in the biometric controller infrastructure, um, well, it's it, it will really take time to create biometric controllers with enough bandwidth to even operate in like uh, business center environments 
because the amount of people coming and going out uh, daily and the amount of interactions happening simultaneously. So that's still a, a you know a, a growing field, and there's a lot more ways to go. I, I agree. When we're talking bandwidth, coming from a company that specializes in data, especially wireless data for the longest time, um, yeah, one thing that we tend to forget is is bandwidth and the amount of data that is flying around there. So. I, th I do agree that there are many angles that this needs to be considered from, and, you know, a ton of issues here, but well, let's see. We are about uh, almost 40 minutes into the show now. Um, if anybody has any questions or thoughts uh, concerning biometric controllers, uh, it could be anything from questions to um, actual use cases or what you look forward to or what you fear um, please raise your hand and um, go ahead and if nobody raises their hand you can always uh, point at somebody but uh, that usually scares people so i'll save that for later so it looks like we have a shy crowd again let's see who do we want? Subi, are you interested in uh, commenting or asking a question? Uh, hey guys, <laughs> I have uh, some troubles with the microphone, but I will try uh, to uh, make some <clears throat> specific question, if you don't mind. Uh, uh, what is the main argument uh, can there be for the, those people who don't understand the difference between face ID and humanoid technology? It's not even for me, it's for my my friends who are also listening uh, us right now. So can you explain, please, to them? No, yeah, sure. Uh, it's pretty simple. What Face ID does is that uh, it stores your biometric image uh, inside of your device, meaning that if you lose your device, you lose access to everything you had which you hide it behind the biometrics. Because uh, what Face ID has is, it compares your face to the face that you enrolled when you first launched your iPhone, for example. And that's pretty much it. The biometrics of Apple are not supposed to uh, tell the difference between uh, two, 10 or 100 different people. So they can't tell if you are unique because they don't execute comparison uh, between all the people who enrolled into Apple, right? And uh, at the same time, well, they don't really need, uh, I, I think they have anti-spoofing techniques, right? Uh, I'm sure they do. Um, the question is, are they better than the anti-spoofing we have right now or not? Because I haven't seen any report of uh, the accuracy of liveness detection of uh, Apple biometrics. But again, the main difference is that when you use your phone, uh, it just stores your image of the only user who uses the phone. And that's pretty much it. And it compares it one-to-one, -one, while in human node, we, uh, we store the data 
encrypted uh, among the distributed network of biometric servers. And we are able to tell if you are the same person trying to enter the account or not. Uh, like, and it doesn't depend on whether you're using the same device or not. I well, hope it was clear. And also, you might want to mention um, that we're not necessarily, you know, storing the face. And, you know, liveness detection is a whole different feature here. Okay, thank you, guys. That was clear. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the question. Dato, do you have anything to add to our answers there? No, it's, uh, it was pretty much, uh, uh, well, straightforward. So face ID is local, and what we're trying to do is decentralized and, well, um, a lot of uh, clients and servers and uh, various layers involved here. So, yep, you lose your phone, but you don't lose your access. Which is uh, pretty good because, well, you know, I've never like, yet happened to lost my phone. But uh, I do have friends who lose their phone every couple of months. They forget them at bars and whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's sorry, it's a common friend here that uh, both Dot and Victor know. So, anyway, uh, leaving that aside, uh, do we have any other questions, any other comments? If not, um, and Dato, is there anything else that we want to talk about concerning biometric controllers, or do we want to move forward with some with a little bit of news? Well, um, to my um, knowledge, you haven't spoken about the decentralization of biometric controls, or have you? That's true. We haven't uh, gone into it in detail, and actually, this is thing that I was waiting for you for. So the mic is yours. Well, actually, <laughs> I was uh, going to, uh, you know, uh, talk about a, a situation in the future, right? Imagine that there is like, um, uh, well, imagine there's, uh, well, decentralization of biometrics, you know, and there's like decentralized biometrics that work and exist. And um, like a company wants to uh, establish biometric controllers, physical, digital ones on several layers. Now, my question is, how do you envision um, this company actually doing it without kind of losing its uh, authority on what it's supposed to control? Or in other case, can, would a, a company even use a bio decentralized biometric controllers in the first place? Well, uh, I I definitely say that um, they would most likely uh, do a <laughs> what they would call a semi decentralized solution, is that they'd have exact backups on many different or a number of data centers that they control. But in if we're talking about the true meaning of decentralization, no, it will be very centralized and the control over it will be very centralized yes and i, I think in that as well so in my understanding uh, decentralization of biometric controllers is like layers of uh, bi 
a metric security for various things and you know access can be um, directly implemented in a democratic society for public goods yeah and i mean you know um of course i know this is uh, your vision too uh it's um also my vision and probably the vision of everybody in the human team is that um when we're talking about uh a database especially uh for biometrics for the technology uh surrounding the biometrics we do not necessarily believe that it is the absolute uh it's absolutely good to have a single centralized authority control uh everything with you know uh total centralization of control um and i i, I guess unless we had a uh, a unified world government where you know the earth is one country and you know there's only one central authority um we we would not trust i mean i i'm american i would not trust the u.s government of this and i would rather have uh decentralized authority so you know everybody participating in the system to have uh equal rights and shares and voice in this. So I, I, I think, you know, this is part of the whole concept of humanoid saying because the, the biometric identity here, these are basic, you know, human rights. You want to have uh, basically everybody to have a say. You know, I want to have a say if we're talking about my uh, human rights uh, concerning my biometric identity. So I would, I personally feel more comfortable in a truly decentralized system where not only the, uh, the, the system, the hardware, you know, the network itself is decentralized, but the authority over it is uh, decentralized in a much broader system. Yes, it might take more time to come to some uh, decisions, but I believe it would actually uh be more protective because you know you know it is everybody's concern so dato yeah i, I totally agree with your position on uh, the authorization of biometric controllers and yeah was there to say <laughs> so you know obviously you know to do a little uh i would necessarily say PR here, but you know, what we're trying to do here at Humanhood is to, is this is a proof of concept, you know, working model that hopefully will grow uh, to the point that, you know, everybody um, that participates not only, you know, shares in the, the governance and the authority here, but also in the ownership and I guess more importantly the responsibility of uh trying to you know protect this data and privacy so with uh that in mind um we are taking some steps forward here so let me briefly do a couple announcements shall we say uh we uh, soon after uh, this 
um, this fireside here. And we'll be making the official announcement here, but since you few people here have uh, actually joined us uh, ahead of time, and uh, we're very happy you're here. We'll give you a sneak peek. And one thing is to say that the testnet version three will be released on May 31st. Yes, the testnet version three, it's a, it will be uh, upgraded in many ways. I won't go into details because uh, they will be the announcement and into a more detailed announcement later on. But uh, testnet version three is coming uh, to your door or to your computer in roughly uh, two weeks, a little less than two weeks, a week and a half or so. Um, we are also having our very first human-owned conference on the 30th and 31st. You will be able to uh, join it if you would like to. Uh, it will be online because of, and we are hoping to see everybody in person you know, being able to shake your hands, but there are certain uh, events that are happening across the world that are not so happy and restrict travel and uh, displace people. And uh, so we're going to be holding this online in Gathertown. So uh, everybody is welcome to join. We have some great uh, uh, topics to be discussed. We will have some good lectures and workshops, and we can have some fun there. And one last thing, uh, I know you have seen some announcements uh, about this, but we are going to have our very first hackathon uh, starting June 2nd, I believe. And if you are a builder or uh, no builders, uh, we actually have a very good um, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. The prizes right now are up to uh, $30,000 in total. Uh, so definitely, if you are interested in building uh, with the uh, system uh, and being part of the human or builder community, I highly recommend you uh, join, you know, uh, gather a team, you know, get ready. And um, yeah, you know, in, in a true sense, become part of the community here. So, Victor, Dato, do you have anything to add here? Well, as we're having a conference in about two weeks, you might understand that we won't have a fireside chat in two weeks. And uh, there is a chance that this is our last fireside. Actually, because, well, yeah. weekly, bi-weekly fireside, but... Uh... We're planning to uh, continue fireside in other manner. Uh, we will most likely be changing the format a bit. Uh, and one more thing is that the Humanoid uh, media team is currently uh, working fairly hard on putting together um, what we're you know, tentatively calling the Humanoid audiovisual media. Uh, we will be doing more of course, uh, podcasts will, you know, we'll have some music channels. We will also have uh, interviews, live interviews, uh, audio and visual. Um, 
and the format will be expanding. You know, obviously, you know, uh, there will be periodic lectures and so on and so forth. So to fit it all in, uh, the current format of the fireside will be scaled down a bit to once a month, but instead we will have other content and other opportunities uh, for the community to join and to learn and to talk and uh, have fun with us. So uh, with that said, uh, let me open the floor once again to everybody. And if you have any questions uh, about uh, the various topics we uh, discussed about today or the announcements or any questions you have, uh, you're free to shoot. So raise your hand and uh, speak up and this is your chance. Hi, is there any ambassador program? Because I saw that um, people in Discord have uh, roles such creator and uh, is there any program for community that uh, about content creation or something like this? Yeah, actually, we don't have a direct ambassador program, but we're running a series of contests and regarding the content creation, this will be our next contest. So you can get ready for it. Uh, actually, people who also get involved, why we don't have ambassador program, I can explain to you easily. Uh, this is the thing why we don't have advisors or something like that, because we're not a uh, centralized entity or government. People come and go without uh, any permission, and that's how long our network is built as well. Uh, if you want to become a great ambassador, then get prepared to become human out, uh, become an active governor, and getting delegations from other human out, you will become a real ambassador of the network who wasn't picked up by the core team, but by uh, equal human notes. Uh, that's the short question. And one more thing to say about content creation. For the, I, I know this is not nothing to do with an ambassador program, but as the humanoid uh, media team develops, uh, obviously we will be looking for content creators and writers. So um, if you have uh, content that uh, you think would be uh, great, uh, feel free to propose it to uh, the media team, which is, you know, you can DM me. Um, and we will be setting up a system so that uh, writers and content creators uh, who want to assist in the uh, growth and development of the human network uh, will be able to uh, participate and Obviously, for um, uh, professional content, uh, it will, you know, it's you know, genuine work, you know, work comes with pay. So this is something that we will uh, be developing as we move towards mainnet. So if you are a content creator, uh, definitely uh, look out for the announcements. And if you have content that you think would be uh, great to have or that you are able to provide, uh don't forget to reach out hey, thank you very much you're welcome 
So uh, I think we're almost at the end of this program here. Uh, Dato, uh, do you have any uh, closing comments here? Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to everyone um, hopping into the testnet three and checking out um, proper functioning uh, civil resistant finalization of blocks. So everyone here, you have a head start. Thank you, Dato. Victor, what about you? Well, in the closure, I would say that uh, we're still losing the war against centralized uh, biometric operators and servers where our data is unencrypted. We hope that liveness will save us. And uh, looking forward to the further development of the new crypto biometric protocol so that you know, so that burglars couldn't steal your food from the free that easy. Well, if, you know, it could keep my teenage son from stealing my cookies, that would be a win. So, uh, once again, thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, for this fireside. We thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we hope that you will uh, enjoy the new content that we will be, the new content, the new format we will be uh, presenting. Once again, uh, Nick, uh, we will not have the fireside uh, two weeks from now. However, we will be having our first humanoid uh, conference. So you're welcome to join us there. Um, and I hope you all have fun. Thank you, everybody. Ta-ta for now. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.